is the disagreement between you and the other side real? Or is it an imagined slide or a misunderstanding or something like that? Is the disagreement important enough to justify the disagreement? So some of the frustration of these all-out brawls is, I didn't even really care about this, and now you're fighting me about it, right? Is the subject of the disagreement specific enough so that we're going to be able to make progress? And so we're not debating the virtues of liberalism in the 15 minutes that we have before we pick up the kids from soccer, right? And fourth, are the two sides aligned in their reasons for wanting to engage in the dispute? Is the disagreement real, important, specific, and are the two sides aligned? And I think where those conditions are there, the conversation has a much higher likelihood of going well. It's one small step for man. Lift off. We have a lift off. We choose to go to the moon, not because they are easy, but because they I are I have a dream. You can't handle the truth. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super. Super you. Thank you for joining us for today's Super You Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Quammen. A lot of you know me as Equal Man. Today's going to be fantastic because all of us do it. We all debate. We all argue. So how can we do it better? And we couldn't ask for a better guest than we have here today with Boso. He's a two-time, two-time world champion debater and a former coach of the Australian National and Harvard teams. He is one of the most recognized figures in the global debate community. He has won both the World Schools Debating Championship and the World Universities Debating Championship, and he has written for the New York Times, The Atlantic, CNN, and many other publications. Bo graduated from Harvard University. He's currently a Juris Doctor candidate at Harvard Law School. So, so great to have you on here, Bo. Welcome to the show. Huge pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. We'll start with the big boulders first, because a lot of listeners <laughs> might have this question. Debate argument. Are they different? If yes, then how do they differ between a debate and an argument? That's a great question. Um, and I do think they differ. Debate is a type of argument. Um, and some of its features are, one is it's structured. Right. So one of the things that you start off in debate with is we're going to get equal time to speak. We're not going to interrupt each other. We're going to take it in turns. Um, and the way in which we're going to sort out our arguments is by uh, making, organizing our thinking in a way that you're going to be able to understand and respond to. So it's not just going to be emoting. We're going to make somewhat confusingly arguments in order to push this discussion forward. Um, so debate is uh, a structured conversation in which arguments rule the day. Um, and of course, it's a way to respond to differences that we have in the way that arguments are. But it says, this is a craft, this is work, it's a skill, and not everything goes. And my point and the argument that I want to make is that that has something to teach us about how we should disagree in our everyday lives. And then would you say that, so for example, partners or a husband and a wife, uh, if they're not arguing, is that an unhealthy relationship? Like arguing is actually part of relationships? I think so. I mean, it can be unhealthy if you're arguing too much. <laughs> There's a lot of lack of health 
um, to go around, at least in my experience. <laughs> but that said, um, you know, th this is a very personal um, issue for me. You know, I I migrated from South Korea to Australia when I was eight, and I didn't speak English at the time. And, you know, for those of your listeners who've made a similar move like that, they might know the hardest thing about crossing language lines is adjusting to real life conversation. The hardest conversations to adjust to our disagreements. Mm -hmm. And when you um, feel like an outsider in that way, your differences can feel very threatening. And oddly, there can be a similar dynamic in relationships where, you know, you're having all these, uh, there's money issues, there's um, a whole lot of logistical issues, your plans are diverging. All those differences of opinion can feel very existential, right? And it can lead us to choose conflict aversion and silence mm -hmm. is yeah. what I really hear in your question. And one of the things that I, I know from my experience of living in that silence as a kid is that it takes you further away from yourself right? An idea that is not given voice often dies, right? And that part of you, you're unable to access. It's holding the other person at an arm's length. It's really not trusting them to be able to handle who you are, the ways in which you're different in a productive and positive way. And that puts everything on a tightrope where we can talk about some things in our relationship and not others. And um, and we lose out in that huge burst of creativity that occurs, um, the openness, the vulnerability that occurs when I say, you know, I actually disagree with you on this, and can we make something um, something productive, something creative out of this? So, uh, you know, I think that I, I know the cost of that silence firsthand, and um, and I know its importance in relationships too. Yeah, and I, I'm learning every day in that front because I've always been the avoider, right? I'm like, conflict? Ooh, let me avoid that. And more and more as I learn from experts like yourself, it's like, you know, you have to have that voice be heard. And I loved what you said in there. Let's unpack that. I'll double click that a little bit. How do we make this productive? So a lot of arguments become unproductive. It's just me. And you see this growing more and more out there. Part of that's fueled by social media that it's like, no, this is my way or the highway. No, my way or the highway, my way or the highway, back and forth, back and forth. So how do we make these arguments more productive? I think at a, at a high level, it's about reclaiming the craft of it, right? And, and I know, because I've heard it as a shy person, um, someone for whom raising their voice is not the first instinct, um, that it can be very frustrating when someone says to you, raise your voice, say what, say your piece, and, and they talk about all the benefits and the creative, productive potential, all the stuff that I just said. It can be very annoying. And um, and I don't want it just to be a, a kind of call to arms. I need, I, I need something that I can do in order to carry out the instruction, and that is what I think the benefit of debate is. So it says, Here's how you make an argument. Here's how you respond. Here's how you use speech and gesture and all of these tools that we have to get across to the other side. So I'll give you an example to how to that I think may be the first step in having more productive arguments. And this is responding to the problem of us talking past one another. Right? You think about the last big fight that you had in your personal life. 
it's often hard to know what the disagreement was about, right? It was something about the dog initially. <laughs> it was about the trash initially. But then it became about something a whole lot more, right? And one thing that debate advises is that every disagreement should start with some agreement. It starts by naming what the disagreement is. Is it a disagreement about the facts? Is it a disagreement of opinion? Is it a disagreement of action, what we should do? And saying, this is what we are disagreeing about. We may have other disagreements and we'll get to them in due time, but some of those are off limits for our purpose of making progress towards one. Knowing the terrain of a disagreement, I think, lowers the barrier to people being able to engage in it. Um, and it also prevents the conversation from going off track. No, I like that. And then how do we in the heat of the moment? Because like, for example, it could be in the house. So there's certain things that that you love your spouse no matter what, but there's stuff that probably drives my wife crazy that I do, I know. Um, or the kids, and then so example, you walk into the bathroom, like these drawers are open again. Like, <laughs> why can't we just close the drawers? So that could be something, let's say I come and I go, why can't we just close the drawers? And it's like, well, you don't do this or something comes in, then it gets like you said, into like a heated argument. So before, is it when that starts, you're like, well, well, let's pause. Let's just talk about I'm feeling anxious because these drawers aren't 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 closed because I don't see as well. I'm tall. I'm going to hit my knee on the drawer. So that's why I'd love these drawers to be closed. I like things tidy. So can we get agreement that maybe and that's what you're saying, like, let's get agreement at the beginning. Is that how you pause or how do you pause in that moment? I think that's terrific. I mean, look, um, we're all entitled to an exclamation. Yeah. <laughs> and we're entitled to say why is this thing open yeah. and that's okay and sometimes that will be the right way to communicate about it but if it's a persistent issue it feels like there's a um a real disagreement between the two sides i would say have a conversation about the conversation so say hey i've noticed this a number of times is it okay if we talk about it i think we have a disagreement about how we're splitting up the chores or how the cleaning is getting done in the household um, is it okay if we disagree about it? And that sense of um, permission giving, right, of viewing the other person as a co-architect of the conversation that we're going to have together brings down the defensiveness, um, mm -hmm. brings down the sense that I'm being attacked. It gives you both an ability to say, hey, I'm going to um, say what I think is going on, and then I want to hear from you, and then I'm going to respond, and so on. And and in that way, you're saying, we are disagreeing at this time. But we know our relationship is much bigger than that. And we know even within this conversation, the disagreement is one part of the conversation that we're building together. And so talking about the conversation before you begin, um, I think can be useful. No, really, that's really helpful. And then in your books and in your, your practice, you mentioned that it can get scope creep, right? All of a sudden, this this one thing starts with the trash, as you mentioned, it could be the <laughs> drawers, and all of a sudden, it just starts to escalate and all the other things are brought in. How do you in the moment, because it can get where people are emotional, you don't want to throw like fire, like a like gas on the fire, right? Like we just go, oh, hold on, hold on, let's pause. Remember, we're in agreement. We're just talking. We're just talking about the drawers right now. How do you kind of do that in the moment? Yeah, and that's another part of um, you know having one foot in the conversation and one foot outside it. So you are both a participant in the conversation and you're 
a custodian of it, right? You're looking after it, you're shaping it together. And so being able to, when you get into a rut where emotions are rising, but you're not connecting, and it's not a problem for there to be lots of emotions as long as um, you're getting through to one another in some way. And it's not just, um, sometimes it becomes a game of hurting the other person's feelings. That can be at its most poisonous. In those moments, being able to say, without even knowing all the answers, I think something has gone off the rails here. Mm-hmm. I think we may be off track. I think we're not talking about the same thing. And having that observation and saying, what do you think? All of a sudden, you've um, called time out on the game of the disagreement, and you're talking about the game, talking about mm-hmm. the conversation. So I think that might help. And in debate, a big part of it is the preparation that goes mm-hmm. into it, right? So um, one kind of mental exercise that I'd encourage um, listeners to, to to consider is, you know, especially when you kind of know what the disagreement is going to be, and we have these high stakes disagreements that we're going to have to work through, um, ahead of time, thinking about, well, here's what I think the disagreement is. What is the best argument for the other side, right? What are the um, biggest problems with my position that I can find? And that little bit of distance from your position, saying it's um, certainly my positions are a part of my identity, but it's not all of it. It could just as easily have been that I was arguing for another position. Um, all of that helps bring down the temperature too. So um, the preparation, the habits of mind that we cultivate, um, that's a part of what we bring into a discussion too. So it's not just in the moment you have to pull up this strength. I think learning the tools of argument, practicing it, um, can change the 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 temperature of the room when we walk into it. No, that's good. And then what about social media debating? Because like, there's a lot of, you know, there's, it used to be, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was 90% of all communication was nonverbal. These all nonverbal cues. I mean, there's a lot, I mean, it's just the world we live in. There's a lot of social, I don't know if you get in this with your classes, with your teams, but what's your opinion on social media debating? Is it a little different? I think it is different. Um, There's sort of two dynamics um, that I think are especially problematic and, and it might form the start of our thinking towards a solution. So one problem is um, the sense that you are talking past the person that you're actually talking to in order to get at the audience who's watching, right? So when you own someone, it's not really for the benefit of that other person. It's to advance your own kind of brand. I think that's one thing. And I think the second related to that is that public aspect of disagreeing online um, can make it very difficult for us to do the most natural thing in a disagreement, which is to make mistakes and to fail. Um, And it can be very difficult to do that in public. And so as an initial point, reclaiming that private space of disagreement Mm -hmm. and not letting the ethics that govern our public disagreements come into our private realm can be useful. So in my view, it doesn't make much sense to talk about canceling your relatives when they're around the table at Christmas dinner, right? They're not a public figure. They're not asking for a large platform. They're sitting right across from you. And so 
imagining ourselves as private figures and relishing all the benefits of that, um, I think that can be one helpful um, uh, place for most people to start. And in terms of the broader discussion, I reported in writing the book some of the communities that tend to do this better um, online than on others. So the community of Wikipedia editors, for example, and the way in which they handle disagreements feel very different to me than the shouting matches that we see on a lot of social platforms. And the parts of that are there's accountability because we sort of know who they are and the role they occupy in the community. They're repeat players in the game. There's a strong culture, right? Um, that says this kind of disagreement is permitted. This is not. Um, and finally, there's a lot of attention paid to the acoustics of the space, right? What's the algorithm doing? It's not privileging the most incendiary comments. It's upvoting um, the comments that are most useful, right? Mm -hmm. That are closest to people's expertise. So those are some of the elements that I that I put out. But um, uh, you know, short of reinventing um, the social media landscape, though we should do that. Um, I think the the first step that people can take in their day to day lives is to reclaim a private space. No, that's great. And then when you work with uh, individuals, or maybe it's with the team. Uh, what do you see for, say, newbies that are new at arguing, debating, that's a, a common thing that they miss? And then the other side of that spectrum is what do the top performers generally do that you also see that that's a common trait that they have? Uh, what do you see on those two fronts? That's a great question. Um, so in terms of the newbies, um, I think it goes back to your first question. Um there's a sense that if you're being disagreeable and or disagreeing, you're doing the activity and you're not, <laughs> you're just being disagreeable and, uh, 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 and you're just disagreeing, um, rather than disagreeing well, disagreeing in a way that honors the craft, um, of mm -hmm. the activity. And so saying, for example, so give you an example, how a debater thinks about an argument, you're arguing that we should all be vegetarian, right? Because it's good for the environment. A debater says there are two things that that, act that argument needs to do. You have to show that being vegetarian is in fact good for the environment, so it's true. And the fact that it's good for the environment means we should go vegetarian, right? The argument supports the conclusion. And so going through that mental exercise of saying, here's what an argument is, here's how we make it, Debate isn't the only way to do that, but it brings to the fore um, the craft of it, right? So I think that's the first step that newbies have to take um, is in thinking about argument as not just earnestness or authenticity even, though those are important pieces, but that it's a craft to be learned. That's the first part. In terms of the um, people who are really excellent at um, the activity, you know, one odd thing that I've observed over the years is that the top debaters tend to be slightly marginal figures, right? Mm -hmm. I think on average, the average debater is, you know, those kind of junior politicians you see at school, a slightly suspicious <laughs> <laughs> figures who are wearing a suit and they're 12. <laughs> and so that might be the average debater. Mm -hmm. 
but in an odd way the um the the people who perform best at the activity uh they're not the people who raise their voice first mm -hmm. right? they're outsiders and i think the reason is they listen before they speak interesting right they read a room before they make an intervention and they know that if you have a hope of persuading anyone it's not going to be about you as the speaker it's going to be about the listener so it's in your best interest to figure out as much about them as possible when they're speaking um so for me um the top performers they listen before they speak I like that. It's interesting because that's the top sales performers as well. So wow. very, very, very fascinating that, that, that that's the case. Now, I love the framework that you have, Risa, so real, if I'm pronouncing that correct, but but real important, specific, and then aligned. So do you mind walking us through that framework if you when you go into an argument, when you're debating? Of course. Um, and this, too, goes back to um, the ill health. <laughs> that can afflict our personal relationships um and and if you think you have it bad try dating if you're a debater right? <laughs> and you're you're out there as 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 the person who's who's thought a great deal about this um and and this came at a point in my life i was still a student where um you know when you're holding a hammer everything looks like a nail you feel mm -hmm. like all these arguments I can conquer, I can out-debate anybody. And I saw in my personal life, um, you know, I was running into these disagreements where someone would say, well, don't debate me. Right? Mm. And it and it made me think, I, I've, I've thought about something incorrectly here. Right? I've, I've misjudged um, the circumstances in which disagreement is useful. Right. And uh, and I've seen equally that under other set of circumstances, it can be this wonderful, revelatory, unifying activity. So how do I deal with that? Both of those things being true. On the one hand, it being destructive, creating distrust, reflecting badly on me. On the other hand, it being this wonderful mode of conversation. And and I started thinking about, well, what are the circumstances that make a disagreement go well? And how do we know to choose our battles? And how do we use silence when in the heat of it, the urge to speak to overwhelm the other side is so strong, right? And I think this is related to what we were saying about um, people listening. Mm. Um, those people know how to use silence, right? So the framework that I, I came up with to think about that in a more systematic way is say, before going into a disagreement, consult a checklist, see if these conditions are there. And this is the RISA checklist. Is the disagreement between you and the other side real? Or is it an imagined slide or a misunderstanding or something like that? Is the disagreement important enough to justify the disagreement? So some of the frustration of these um, all-out brawls is, I didn't even really care about this, and now you're fighting me about it, right? So is it important enough to justify the disagreement? Is the subject of the disagreement specific enough so that we're going to be able to make progress? Right? So we're not debating the virtues of liberalism in the 15 minutes that we have before we pick up the kids from soccer, right? And fourth, 
are the two sides aligned in their reasons for wanting to engage in the dispute, right? Mm -hmm. So it may not be that you need the exact same reasons for engaging, but if one side is in it just to hurt the other person's feelings, you might say, your reasons for wanting to engage this, they're not okay with me. Mm -hmm. So is the disagreement real, important, specific, and are the two sides aligned? And I think where those conditions are there, the conversation has a much higher likelihood of going well. No, I love that. It's a great framework. And and I also love the fact that sometimes you might ask someone, hey, can we try to solve for this right now? They might say no, so that you're in the right frame of mind. Both of you have to be in the right frame of mind so it doesn't get too emotional and bring in other stuff that's not related to the argument. That's wonderful. And it may well be that um, you can still have a conversation about it, just not a disagreement. Right. Yeah. It may be when those conditions are there, just one person speak and the other person listen and just yeah. say, I've heard you. Right. And yeah. when the conditions are there, we might disagree about it sometime, but that time is not now. Yeah. Can you leave a conversation sometimes saying, well, agree to disagree, but at least we've heard each other? I think you can. I mean, yeah. you know, it 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 goes back to um, the reasons why we engage in disagreement. And one of the great things about debate is there are many ways to win, right? Yeah. So, um, of course, there will be times when uh, we can't just say, let's agree to disagree when we have to do something. Right. right? We have to go to dinner <laughs> together, right? Or the kids, we have one kid and they have to go to school somewhere, right? Yeah. But um, many disagreements aren't like that. And, mm -hmm. and, in many instances, it can be a win to learn more about the person across the desk from you, to learn more about the world, to learn more about yourself, right? mm -hmm. to have been heard, to have uh, explored a different way of thinking. And so having those off-ramps and those broad definitions of what we consider a win, <clears throat> I think that can often bring down the temperature too. Yeah. And he said something in there that I think is interesting because a lot of listeners probably it's one of the, a common debate, I'm sure, is our is our kid going private or public school and the parents might have different opinions and they don't really they still share them, but they've each, at least heard and they've got to make a decision, even though they haven't come to an agreement. They haven't said, yeah, it's all private or all public. Yeah. And so one side might say, all right, those are good arguments. Let's send her to private school. Um, but now we know some of the, you know, that my hesitations to send them to private school are this, this, and this. So if we start to see those red flags, at least we can kind of identify it, course correct, whatever that course correction looks like. So that's smart. That's terrific. I mean, that example um, was something I, you know, I saw with my own friends and it was a disagreement they were having, whether they should send the kids to the local public school or the private school. And I use that illustration in the book to say, when we think we're having one disagreement, we can in fact be having many disagreements, oh. right? So within that one argument, there can be a disagreement about fact, right? So one one person really might believe the local school has uh, this many teachers when the other person might think it's a different number, right? Mm -hmm. That's just a disagreement of fact. There could be a difference of opinion about what we owe the local public school system. And, and, the, and those are inside what appears to just be a disagreement about what we should do with the kids, right? So even though probably only one 
person in that disagreement can win the argument about where the kid goes at one time, we can come to a better alignment, better understanding on what we think our responsibilities towards the school system are, what we think our obligation or role as parents might be. And at least we can get on the same factual basis. So we're not making a mistake um, in, in, in the way in which we make decisions. So I think that's a good, um, example of of some of the ideas we were saying. No, it's wonderful. And you've got a, obviously a top selling book, good arguments, and it's wonderful book. Everyone should check it out. Everyone should read it, listen to it, whatever your favorite medium is. What is some of the feedback from the readers that you get, or maybe the, I'll, I'll say like the top piece that kind of comes back, like, thank you for writing the book because it helped me do this uh from the from the readers i always find it fascinating as an author getting that feedback because that's different than the thing that i think's the the number one thing in the book and and so what's some of the stuff it's joyful to get that feedback what's some of that feedback you receive that's so interesting um i I would say the most divisive um part of the book is how i wrote it (laughs) (laughs) which is um you know and it was a fork in the road for me if you read it um, and you just flick through it, it looks like a memoir, right? And I'm I'm just not important enough to have written a memoir in many ways. Um, but the reason why I wanted to situate the lessons of debate and not make it a manual, but to fold it into the details of how I learned it as a very ordinary person living a very ordinary life is... Um, because I wanted to bring the reader with me right? to go from zero to somewhere that's not zero mm-hmm. and show the ways in which this activity, this ancient activity that I've inherited changed the way in which I view life and my approach to it. Right. So um, situating debate within how I grew up Right across these cultures, navigating difference, how I approached education, how I approached dif- these different um, jobs that I've had. Um, I think that's the part that uh, has split people the most, right? So some yeah. people say, um, "I just wanted the want the condensed lessons, right?" Yep. And when I'm running workshops and seminars, it's much more like that. And uh, and other people um, have said uh, that's what made some of those lessons come alive yeah no i agree it makes it come alive just knowing the background and how you even got in debate that you're in south korea all of a sudden you're in australia you're eight years old you don't speak <laughs> english and you see that wow when people start to argue they start to heighten their voice and it starts to speak faster it's harder for me to understand come to grips so uh what a what a wonderful journey it's very immodest you know in some ways but but i think um, the great joy of 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 living is in the particulars um you can find resonances right so I was just speaking to um a journalist from Ireland and they were talking about um you know what it's like to to come from a co- country that has experience of um of of dealing with a large imperial power and how that shapes people's approach to um to disagreement and 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 seeing the ways in which one person's particular experience can resonate with the particular experiences of another um that makes me think the book and this subject that that we've been speaking about um does abut on 
on on themes of interest to a broader audience. No, for sure. And is there any? And it's funny because we had so much more to unpack. But it's just something jogged in my my mind when you said because you're different cultures as well. We didn't even get to unpack that because I was working at a company, German company. The founder is just in his mind. He's sitting there going, "Just answer the question," and he's yelling <laughs> at this poor other American across. And so, fortunately, after the meeting, I could kind of talk to him, even though he's the CEO, and go. Hey, that's not going to help. <laughs> that's not helping. That's like that person's probably might be crying right now. Uh, and so <laughs> we didn't get a chance to unpack the different cultural cultural pieces that, that sometimes funnel into this for sure. Uh, anything that we that's one thing we didn't cover, but is there anything that we didn't cover that, that you'd like to cover? You know, the the, the culture part um, is on my mind now because the book is um out or it's going to be out in 10 languages and and it's a fascinating thing to um to see how different people approach it and particularly in asia i get a lot of responses saying um uh you know we don't debate in this outright kind of way and i'll say two things about that um the first is you know it can be very hard to know the conversational waters in which we swim and so those cultural experiences are helpful because they help us see um, the assumptions that we're making about how we ought to speak to one another, that we're all taught to learn as young people joining society, but never always to question the limits. So that is a real opportunity in my view. And I think the second thing is, um, you know, uh, I, I see the limits of broad generalizations too, right? So um, it's also true of Asian cultures from my travels, that it has um, an intense history of education, often independence movements involving enormous amounts of debate. Um, and, uh, and so I think because debate abuts these universals, right? there are resonances of it in different cultures. There are things that we should be learning from how different cultures have appropriated it. And most importantly for us, in our relationships, in our organizations, to have a conversation about what forms of disagreement are going to best serve us. Yep. Um, and I think that sense of agency comes from having a broad and comparative view. No, I love that. And something it's like, you said that both can be true sometimes, and it's a, a, the opposite of an, a known truth can also be true uh, sometimes. So we got to understand that sometimes that answer lies in the middle. But uh, this has been fascinating for me. I'm going to report back. I know it's going to help me with my debating and arguing. I already have a lot of key takeaways that I'm going to make sure that if we know that we're line one is like, is it real? Is it important? Is it specific? Is it a line? And also making sure that we stay on that task that I'm both. I love that you have one foot in the argument, but also you're kind of the moderator saying, no, 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 we're not we're not talking about that right now. We're trying to solve for this. And, and as you mentioned, arguing can be good as long as it's productive. So arguing is good as long as you're trying to get better at it to lead to that productivity. So I love it. Wonderful. Thank you so much for the thoughtful questions. And it's a huge pleasure to be here. No, honor to have you, and hopefully I'll see you in Austin or in Cambridge. I love getting up there, so hopefully we'll, we'll grab lunch face-to-face. -face. It'll be fantastic. Look forward to that. Thanks again, and, and, and thanks to your listeners, too. No, thank you. Have a great one. All right, bye. 
Healthy arguments are productive arguments. That's Bo So, two-time world champion debater. I know he's going to help with my arguments. I hope he helped you as well. And I'll give you an update also on the drawer situation, the drawer crisis in our house, these open drawers that the tall guy sometimes runs into. So we'll let you know how that plays out. Feel free to let us know what's playing out in your house. Just send us a note at equalman at equalman.com. I'd love to hear from you. Always do. Whether it's about how can we improve the show. It might be a question that you have. We'll put you on air. And then also thank you so much for giving us those reviews out there online. They help others discover this podcast, which this podcast, as you know, the Super U Podcast, is designed to give everyone the courage to wear the cape. That's right. We're all superheroes. We just need that courage to unlock and unleash that superhero on the world. And this show is produced by our great producers here at Equal Man Studios. That is Kelsey Gomez, Maritza Gutierrez, and Jake Bryn. So for now, this is Equal Man signing off, reminding all of us, it's not what we take from the world, it's what we leave behind. Seven. Six, five, four, three, two, one. Super, 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 you.